Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. While he was interested in spiritualism, John Rutgate could never even imagine himself being a part of a church. He began to question, who is God? When someone came up to him and told him, it's Jesus Christ, that's who you're looking for. John's life was radically changed. Join Doug and John as they share stories about God moving during the Jesus movement and compare it to what God is doing today. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Well, let me set the tone here. The Jesus Movement Revival started in California and quickly spread across the nation and around the globe. And for those that are listening in right now, I know some of you would say, well, it happened simultaneously in Texas and other places as well. But for the sake of the movie that just came out, Jesus Revolution, <laughs> the significant things that happened, and you'll find out from John in Northern and Southern California simultaneously during the Jesus movement. A key figure the Lord used to ignite the Jesus movement was a long-haired hippie named Lonnie Frisbee. Mm -hmm. And of course, many of us were long-haired hippies back then. John Rutke had a front row seat to the Jesus movement and was one of Frisbee's best friends. The movement brought hundreds of thousands of people to Christ during the 1970s, and the spiritual aftershocks and tremors from this earth-shaking time continued for years. In fact, I'm one of many who were part of and influenced by the Jesus movement personally, but also saw the aftershocks and the things that happened even since then. And so we saw, and I personally experienced moves of God and outpourings in the early 80s and 90s that have continued to have rippling effects today. So I think all of us have seen the rippling even from what happened in the Jesus movement and Jesus revolution, of course, the aftershocks. So the recent Jesus revolution movie, portrays Frisbee's early days as an evangelist, but there wasn't enough screen time to unpack the complicated life, said Lee Grady in a recent article. And he goes on to say that Jesus' revolution captures Frisbee's humor, his passion for the gospel, and his love for his disciples. We see him baptizing new converts in the Pacific Ocean, preaching on a college campus, and sharing his testimony. One thing that many of us have noticed, and I saw an incredible one-hour YouTube that John Rutke did, and that was called The Unscripted by John Rutke. It was about Lonnie Frisbee, and it was a brilliant piece. John, thank you for sharing that because it kind of segues with so many people like myself who went to see the movie, moved to tears. I know Chuck Gerard was with me uh, not too long ago on one of our podcasts, and it said he brought back tears and memories, even though it wasn't a documentary, it was based on yeah. a true story. But yet your YouTube piece was done brilliantly. It really helped connect the dots. And so many have actually seen the movie and then go out with more questions because they begin to, being touched by the movie, begin to Google and look up who Lonnie Frisbee was. And I think what you did was a brilliant piece to help give the connection to the realities of the early days, as well as what happened even in the latter days and the things they've been reading. So again, John, thank you so much. You had a front row seat. I know you're overloaded right now with so many people asking. <laughs> you were just with our friend Sean Foyt recently on one of his podcasts. So yeah. I know you're busy, but thank you for being with us. And I'm looking forward to just having some conversation and just kind of connecting the dots for those who will be listening to this podcast. Yeah, no, I, it's a joy to be with you, Doug. So um, 
Yeah, you know, it was funny. I uh, hadn't even seen the movie yet, and I was watching uh, Greg Glory's interview with uh, another uh, podcaster named Ruslan, and Ruslan did a great job in interviewing Greg. And I thought to myself, man, like, wow, Greg, whoa, man, there's like too many things that you're not allowing to be, you know, explained here. And, and rightly so, because, you know, when you really think about it, Lonnie was probably out of his life after maybe three years of him being in the Lord, even though Lonnie was the one that led him to the Christ and actually was the one that kind of initiated everything in Riverside where Greg's church is. It's one of the biggest churches in the United States now. You know, Lonnie going out there to an Anglican church where uh, the kids were getting touched. But, this, you know, you have to put in context that it was a Jesus movement. So everybody was getting touched. If you had a youth group, everybody was getting on fire for Jesus, you know. And uh, as I was watching Greg's podcast with uh, Ruslan, I, I was just going, man, I need to, like, fill in the blanks for what's happening. Now, I hadn't even seen the movie yet. By the time that I did my thing, I had just come back from being in Texas down at... Um, uh, college station and we had done what is called the jesus gathering by the way we were going to have another one of those in california over easter and while we were down there the spirit of god fell on us so powerfully i, I mean it's honestly it is reminding me of the jesus movement what i'm seeing right now and i can we can get to that in a little bit but boy i'm seeing the same things and all the old school jesus movement guys that i hang out with we're all looking at this just going man this groundswell looks exactly like it did for when we got touched by the Lord. I came back from Texas. I was kind of a little bit sick. And I talked to the kids that helped me do with the podcast. And I said, guys, can we just, I think we're supposed to get something out there. After listening to Greg's uh, interview, I think that there's going to be some very big questions about Lonnie. And even though I hadn't seen the movie, I said, I think we need to like get this out there before the premiere of the movie comes out. So anyways, that's why I did that. And you know, I'd like the next day, it's like a thousand people are viewing it. I thought, wow, that's awesome. I'm glad people are, you know, next day, 25,000 people are viewing it. Now it's up well past 300,000. So, you know, it went kind of viral in that deal. And that kind of explains a lot of things about Lonnie that I knew people would be having questions about. So but getting back to the history of the Jesus movement and Doug, you know, I know. John, hold on just for a second, because I want people to get this, go to YouTube or to and look up Lonnie Frisbee unscripted by John Rutkay. That's R-U-T-T-K-A-Y. It was a great piece. And what's interesting, a couple of things you said, John, was even prior to a lot of people seeing it, you were already doing these things like in College Station, which tells me God's up to something. And we'll touch on that later. But I was just in College Station around just around that time because they do a monthly tent uh, gathering for different churches with college students. There was something percolating even before the movie came out and before oh, yeah. Asbury. So, so obviously God's up to something in a corporate way that we haven't seen since the Jesus Revolution. Yeah, that's what we're sensing and that's what we're seeing. And what happened was that we, would, we were in a barn. There was about 400 of us. We fast for three days before we do this. And all these people come from all over to kind of join in. And it's kind of organic-y, you know, uh, there's like no names, you know, people that you would like think would be that significant. And with the worship and we just press into God and we just cry out to God. And it jumped from where we were at the next day. This is at the same time as Asbury revival was happening. It, it, and oddly enough, the Asbury revivals, the last time that happened was in 1970. Well, 1970 is like the 
the time of the Jesus movement. That's like the kickoff point of the Jesus movement. So very similar things happening. So what happened in College Station was Spirit of God fell on us. We were weeping and wailing. And the presence of God jumped from us the next day over to Texas A&M where 2,500 people came out at 1030 at night and people getting baptized, people weeping and wailing didn't stop until almost 3.30 in the morning. And so it happened a couple of consecutive nights and then the school kind of clamped down on it and said, you can't be baptizing people in these ponds. So, you know, but it, it's kind of one of those spontaneous combustion kind of things, you know, and I would, if I were to put into words what I think the Jesus movement was, it was spontaneous combustion. It was a deep calling unto deep, a deep cry of um, the people of God. And the movie did a great job in kind of sharing that, you know, uh, Chuck and his wife, Kay, you know, really going down to the beaches of uh, Huntington Beach and just saying, how do these kids get saved? I mean, how do you reach out to this group of people? And rightly so. They, this group of people, I being one of them, being a hippie, you know, were so far out of that loop, so far of being part of a church kind of a deal or could never even imagine myself being in a, into a church system. Uh, at that particular point in time, there was a big swing of Eastern mysticism because of the music and because of, quite honestly, the drugs and hallucinogenics coming into the scene. Uh, you saw people uh, exploring spirituality and exploring those kinds of things. That was just the kind of the um, cultural norm for the, I would say, the 25 and under crowd for sure. You know, I mean, our motto was don't trust anybody over 30. So <laughs> I say 29 and under, you know. <laughs> Anyways, so that that was kind of cultural setting that was happening in that particular point in time. And man, you see the same thing right now. You know, I mean, it's very similar to the consternation, the searching, the hunger that I see in people's lives and not necessarily interested in church things, but they're interested in spiritual things. And look at the, you know, back in that time period, a big, a, a surge of LSD, you know, Timothy Leary, actually in the movie, they showed Timothy Leary, like on that platform preaching with Janice Joplin or whatever, whoever it was that was up there on the platform. And, and uh, you know, that was the deal. That was our drugs made a big difference and kind of, uh, you know, illegally got us into, um, you know, the spiritual realm, you know, illegally. <laughs> so we started to explore those things on a pretty big scale. And uh, Lonnie being one of them, you know, Lonnie was big on those kinds of things. And once he got really touched by the Holy Spirit up in Haight-Ashbury, which historians say that the ground zero for the Jesus movement was Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. And so out of that came, Lonnie got caught in that gill net. It was just a couple couples that, knew that and they were in their 30s, late 20s, early 30s. And they said, we have got to reach out to these uh, in the, the summer of love and start to reach out to these people because the church does not know how to touch hippies. They, we can speak their language. They can't. So that's actually what happened. And so these people quit their jobs, just said, OK, we're going to do an outreach in Haight-Ashbury. And Lonnie got caught in that little gill nut that they were reaching out to people and, and just simply bringing them in with food and fellowship and 
preaching the gospel to them. And a lot of people, you know, I mean, it's messy stuff, man. You're dealing with people that are on drugs and you got people that are losing their minds and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they just powered through it. And in that little gill net, Lonnie was one of the people that came in and immediately Lonnie started having encounters with the Lord and power of God fell on him. He felt compelled to uh, move back down to Costa Mesa, hitchhike down to Costa Mesa. And, and while he's hitchhiking down there, he goes back into some of the areas that he had done drugs and had influenced people. And, you know, kind of, Lonnie was kind of one of those. And he would not be the one you would necessarily pick to be like the captain of the team. But, but you know, God doesn't use the, uh, it's the broken and the contrite that God really uses. And so Lonnie was one of those kind of broken and contrite people that God really used to, you know, to certainly bring in those initial group of people that were uh, strung out on all kinds of drugs and had experimented with uh, LSD and all that kind of stuff. And so he wasn't going anywhere when he would hitchhike. He would just be witnessing to people and share Christ with people. So he was just basically doing that. And in one of those deals, uh, Chuck's daughter's boyfriend picked Lonnie up hitchhiking and Lonnie who looked like John the Baptist just began to preach the gospel to this guy and started to share the Lord with him and the guy's just going wow I've never I couldn't even I didn't even know hippies could be saved you know and then <laughs> the way that Lonnie articulated it he was just going man you need to meet my girlfriend's dad he's a pastor and that was Chuck Smith wow. and so Chuck and Lonnie and Kay spent Lonnie told me, he says, it was like about three hours and went by like five minutes. And the presence of God came on him. And Kay began to prophesy over Lonnie that he'll be the troubadour God would use to bring in all the young people. Mm -hmm. And Lonnie walked away from that just going, boy. <laughs> Lonnie said, boy, that was a doozy. <laughs> it was, and sure enough, man, it was, you know, that movie really represented that really well and how God started to, Lonnie started bringing in young people. Chuck said, hey, look, this is the direction we're going to go. So, you know, kudos to Chuck and Kay for opening up their house. So, you know, taking a, a risk and bringing in all the young people. I mean, it was definitely a paradigm shift for them coming out of what they, in Chuck's background was Foursquare, which was a pretty conservative Pentecostal, very religious. Uh, I mean, Four squares changed a lot since then, but, you know, still in that time period, you're thinking, you know, late 60s, early 70s, you know, still kind of that Pentecostal stronghold deal that, you know, uh, kind of overtly uh, religious, <laughs> to be quite honest about it. And so, you know, he, he shifted from that into opening up his heart and his stuff. But my personal story was this, I, you know, again, you know, people, it's hard for people to realize this, but most of us, I mean, big majority of us had no vehicles. So we would hitchhike everywhere we went. We hitchhiked. I hitchhiked across the country. I'm from Washington, DC, came across the country and uh, hitchhiked. And I, like in 1974, and uh, as I was coming across the country as a Buddhist, by the way, I became a Buddhist and I was into Eastern mysticism and all those kinds of things. And, and, uh, you know, just a bet your run of the mill hippie at that time period, hitchhiked across the country. And as I was getting towards Nebraska, I noticed everybody picked me up were like Christians, you know, like I'm going, man, I, 
didn't quite understand it, but the, the people in Nebraska were kind of still like church Christians, but they were very sweet people, very kind people. I remember uh, this, these people picked me up in Nebraska and, and it was a girl and she brought me to her mom and dad's house. They were so excited to see me and they probably never seen a hippie before. And, you know, I'm there and they, I spent a couple of days, they wanted me to spend the week there, you know, and I'm looking at their bookshelf because I always like, I'm fascinated by what people are reading. Billy Graham, uh, all kinds of Christian books that I never heard of at that time, C.S. Lewis, you know, all these kinds of things. And I'm just going, wow, what are these people into, you know? Very kind, very sweet. So you could see how the Lord was already starting to throw out seeds into my life. And they didn't pre preach to me or do anything like that. They were just wholesome, kind people. And I said, okay, well, time for me to go. I got to hitchhike to, you know, I'm going to San Francisco and then I was going to shoot down to Southern California. And so now I'm in a uh, bus station and because and, I always wanted to go to Utah to the Great Salt Lake Summit in Utah. And that's where I met a guy named Jack Straw who lived in Northern California and he was a hippie too. And so him and I met at the, and I was in this bus station, I was cleaning up. I was not taking a bus anywhere. And I was going to go to the Great Salt Lakes because I always wanted to do that. And so this guy's looking at me and he's just going, hey, you know, I've always wanted to hitchhike and, you know, would you mind if I went with you? So I said, no, I'd be happy. Thank you. You know, it'd be fun. So uh, we went to the Great Salt Lakes and he says, oh, I got to tell you something. He says, I love Jesus. I said, awesome. I'm a Buddhist. You know, this guy, <laughs> unbelievable, man. This guy had a blowtorch. I had a little plastic fork, you know, I mean, he knew his stuff and but more than knowing his stuff, I was watching him. I mean, I couldn't even put sentences together without the F word. I mean, it was like, you know, ah, blah, 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 you know, looking at chicks doing, you know, just, you know, I, I'm like 19, 20 years old, you know, it's just what it was. And, and so I'm watching him and man, this just not any one unclean thing coming out of his mouth. He's not looking at girls. He's just talking about Jesus and love with Jesus. And I mean, wow, it was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I mean, I'm really paying attention here. So anyways, him and I hitchhiked down to his house in, in uh, San Francisco with his family, who everybody got saved in the Jesus movement. I mean, his whole neighborhood was born again. It was like, whoa, these guys are everywhere. <laughs> so I came to, I was stayed with him for about a week and, you know, came to Wednesday and they said, hey, John, we were wondering, would you want to come to like uh, church with us? I said, church? Who goes to church on a Wednesday? This is going, man, I've never heard of that. Never heard of anybody going to church on a Wednesday. I said, for sure. Yeah, let's do it. I go there and there's maybe 100, 120 people. I don't know. But they're all young people. They're like my age, you know, at that time. I'm going, whoa, man. And there's girls there and they're like lifting their hands up and they're worshiping. And I'm going like, man, I have never seen anything like that before. You know, it's like, wow. This is heavy, you know? And then the guy that came out and preached, he was a hippie and he had like long mutton chops and he's like bringing it, you know, spirit of God. And I mean, that was very compelling, you know, what he had to say, but I had a couple of questions. So I went to him afterwards and, and I asked him, hey, um, you know, I've got a couple questions. I'm a Buddhist and, you know, he starts drilling down on me right there. And I said, bro, pump your brakes, man. Like I'm not ready for you to drill down on me that quick, man. So. But it impacted me enough when I went to Southern California that I went and hitchhiked down to the Buddhist temple just to talk to the Buddhist monks about this because, hey, man, that rung my bell. You know, I needed to have some answers to the questions that I was having. And the Buddhist monks couldn't answer that. So they were very like, 
Stay away from born again Christians. Very persuasive underscoring, dude. Okay. And I was actually coming down to Southern California to play football at this college. So I needed to make that football team. Otherwise, I was going to have to pay for this gig. So I uh, had to kind of like throw all my stuff away and, you know, ended up my roommate. I made the football team. Everything worked out. And my roommate's dealing drugs. We're partying hard. Put my spiritual life on a shelf. I said, I'll get to that later. I've got to, you know, get it together on what I got to do for school and football and all that stuff. So back in that time period, nobody drug tested you. Nobody did anything. My roommates started dealing drugs. We were just partying hard. And, and uh, it was like uh, probably a year into that. And all of that seemed to come to an end for me. You know, I just like was, there's got to be an answer to the bigger question of what I am asking. I was religious studies major anyways. I realized that Buddha, Muhammad, Yogananda, none of these guys ever claimed to be God. I needed to really like figure out who is God, where is God, who is God, how does this all fit, you know? Um, there's deep questions that you answer. You know, Pascal says that there's a God-shaped vacuum in all of us. And, you know, the only person that can answer those questions is the Lord, you know? So I'm walking up onto the campus this one day and I'm just going, God of the universe, you know, it's kind of like one of those general prayers, God. You need to tell me who you are. And I go up onto the quad, hanging out with my friends that day. You know, all, all the football players are up there. We're all hanging out. You know, we're all, you know, just chilling. And this guy comes up to me and he's got like horn rimmed glasses and he's like got pencil in his pocket. He's kind of a nerdy person. And I'm just going, man, this guy's like making a beeline to me. Like, man, wow, what's this all about? And this guy comes up right up into my grill, man. I mean, he says, it's Jesus Christ. That's who you're looking for. What? whoa jesus christ and this guy led led me to the lord on a four spiritual laws wow Isn't that crazy but it was the jesus movement and so you know i gave my life to jesus right there in that quad because i had asked that question coming up and i said well of course it's jesus christ i i heard somebody say it like this one's morality often governs one's theology <laughs> i would say that i fit in that category probably and um you know, I um, had a problem with Christianity because I couldn't understand how they could be that dogmatic about Jesus being the only way, you know. Of course, I had heard about Jesus because I live in Western civilization. So, you know, and you grow up like I grew up a Catholic. I mean, my whole neighborhood was Catholic. I thought everybody in the world was Catholic, you know. Thank God for the Catholic community, you know, because they were a very strong community, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, so, you know, I have nothing but respect for that whole thing. It's just I never knew you had to be born again. You know, they're not big on the scriptures or on being born again. Once that happened to me, it was almost like, okay, that's that reality is a, a truth that I had no idea that he actually, okay, it is Jesus Christ and he is the one. I was more upset about myself that I didn't come into this earlier, but nonetheless, I got saved immediately I went into this, uh, this, I was supposed to do seven on seven drills that whole summer with the football team. And I said to the coaches, Hey, something just happened to me. I got saved and like, I'm out. I'll come back in the fall and resume everything that we're doing. But you know, like I led my whole family to Buddhism, into Buddhism and, um, all my friends I led to, into Buddhism, you know, so I, I was kind of an evangelist anyways, you know, for those kinds of things. And, and once I believe something, I'm all in. The guy who led me to the Lord said, him and his wife said, we feel like we're supposed to 
uh, help you go to this Christian camp. And like this is the Cinco de Mayo is, in 1975 is when I got saved. And then this is probably, you know, the 25th of May. We were out of school already. And there was this like uh, right past Memorial Weekend was a seven day Bible conference for people that were my age, you know, like from 23 all the way down to like 16, 17, you know, so, and there was 200 of them. Now I've never been around Christians, so I didn't know anything about any of the stuff, but man, you had the best professors there, you know, I, and so I went to this thing, best professors, best teachers, you know, Josh McDowell was one of the teachers. Uh, all the professors were the, uh, New Testament theolo theology professors at different universities that were really quite, you know, astute. And so, and then they measured, made you uh, memorize large portions of scripture. Like I memorized all of John chapter 15. I was a college student, so I was used to doing all that kind of stuff. So I go into that place and man, wow. When I started to realize the whole thing of what salvation really meant and all of those kinds of things, this rumble hit me in this. I'm, I'm in the middle of all these people. I mean, th there's 200 students there and I'm, I'm like going, man, what is going on in here? And it was this, when I realized how much God, what actually salvation meant, what all of, you know, that God came and grabbed a hold of me. And if I was the last person on the earth, he would have done it. And that whole concept just came to me and I felt the love of God. And it was like, like a nuclear bomb went off on the inside of me. I was just this rumbling coming up out of me. Like I just wanted to worship God with like, just like with everything that I had, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm, these guys will think I'm crazy. I'm feeling this. And so this kid, I go down to the place that we're standing. This kid looks at me and he says, I know exactly what's happening with you, but I can't do it here. Cause this, this was like a Baptist kind of thing, you know? So this kid pulls me over to the pool has, says, why don't you kneel down? He lays hands on me and the power of God came down on me. Like, whoa, like literally I felt something like, like I opened my mouth and somebody dropped a grenade in there, man. And it was like, oh, boom. And the presence and the power of God just came, overshadowed me, you know? And I just moved with that kind of a, th with that kind of a power and that kind of an anointing. And I hitchhiked home from there uh, all the way back to the East Coast. I hitchhiked and just led everybody to Christ, just like Lonnie did in the movie. That's how we were hitchhiking and leading people to Jesus. And But I can tell you, man, it, we were, I tell the kids now, you don't need to blow the shofar, you need to be the shofar. And we just preached the gospel, preached the gospel, preached the gospel. That's all we did was preach the gospel to everybody. So consequently, all my friends got saved. I went home, my whole family got saved. And God just began to move with great anointing on everything. I called all my friends up, hey, I'm in town, let's party, you know. So the guys are coming all over to my house. And, you know, I, we were not partying. I had a Bible and I, had, I lined them up like LAX. And they're all coming through the door at different times. And I just lead everybody to Christ. And they weren't leaving until they got some of Jesus. <laughs> That's why they call <laughs> so Jesus John Christ. John, you uh, you were sharing there's quite a few things that really resonated and reminds me of things. But in in 1971 to 1974, I actually went to high school in Japan, mm. and still in the in the middle of all the the hippie movement. So all of us grew our hair long. And 
Interestingly, in Japan, I could have my hair down the middle of my back and still play in wrestling, football, and baseball. Wow. Came back to, to the United States when I was in my last semester of high school mm. and, uh, and living in Washington State. And for whatever reason there, where I was at, it was almost like you had to be, pick which one you wanted to be. And so I was mm. struggling because I, I really enjoyed baseball, wrestling, and football. And at the same time, mm. I didn't want to cut my hair. So yeah. pretty sure I ended up uh, doing a lot of hitchhiking. Ended up leaving, <laughs> dropped out of high school with one credit to graduate, I think it was, and uh, hitch, uh, it actually hitchhiked and then caught freight trains from mm. Washington, Oregon, all the way back down to San Diego, where I'd lived growing up. And so thinking about those days then, we all hitchhiked, we all we took 18 wheelers, hitchhiked on the streets, I mean, so many stories. Mm. It's unthinkable today. In today's, yes, yes. to even think about that, but yes. even along the way, the the way the Lord brought human angels in that sense to me, planting mm. seeds of the gospel during that whole time. I look mm. back now and how all along the way the Lord was trying to get my attention. Yes. I think much like a lot of us. And when getting back to A and M, I was having lunch with a few pastors at First Baptist Church in Houston, and sitting next to Greg Mott, who used to do Breakaway back before mm. he became the pastor at First Baptist, and Breakaway had thousands of young people at A&M on a weekly basis. And he actually looked over and says, Doug, something's happening. Something just broke loose for the last two days. That must have been when you were there broke yeah. loose at A&M. And my, his son, who goes to college there now, said that there's been spontaneous youth gatherings and worship. We heard the same thing happening at Baylor. And now what? Over 200 different cities or different universities and colleges and schools experiences some element of the, the this presence of God that's showing up that's being student-led. And so yeah. it reminds me a lot of the transcendency of a denomination or an individual, mm. no egos, right. no logos. God yeah. shows yeah. up. And, you know, you were talking about Foursquare. A few of us on the call are probably Foursquare. Uh, Jack Hayford <laughs> got me into it years ago and uh, yeah. gave me the right arm of fellowship. And uh, what a great influence he was in so many's lives and great example. But Yes, um, he was. Said, when God shows up, if it's Azusa Street or the Latter Rain movement or what happened during the Jesus Revolution, even the renewal that came around that same time with all the denominic Catholics and Presbyterians, mm -hmm. Anglicans, denominational leaders, there's something transcendent when the Holy Spirit shows up yes. that removes us from being more committed to the denomination than we are to being the shofar, as you said, instead of blowing the shofar, being the shofar. Yeah. Did you find that to be true? In even throughout the Jesus Revolution and the things that you went through, that the rippling effects continue. We see that even in Greg Laurie, that he is now doing incredible things for the gospel, but he's a result of being discipled by Lonnie Frisbee and being a result right. of the Jesus movement. So we yes. see a lot of rippling that's never stopped, it's still continuing. Oh, yeah. As you said Big time. in one of your interviews about that's what movements do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's uh, interesting and I think I shared it in one of the podcasts. I've done a bunch of them now. You know, it's funny. You get a couple few people watching your stuff and all of a sudden people think you are something. You know, it's like <laughs> that thing went viral that I did it over 300,000 now views. So it's such a critical time right now. And we've got this incredible medium that we can move from with, you know, the with the internet and, and even the Zoom call. You know, if COVID did anything, man, it got us onto this thing. You know, wow, what a... What an amazing thing that that is. But yes, there was a, I didn't even think in terms of a denomination or I didn't think in terms of, uh, I didn't think in terms of anything other than community. 
because we had such a strong community. Everything we did was in the context of community. Everything that we moved in was in the context of community. We just did everything together. And so, again, you know, there was so many of us kids coming in, you know, like I would say the 21 and under crowd came in, like by the tens of thousands. And there wasn't enough older ones to like help us, you know, like, I mean, it was like the ratio was like 100 to 1 you know, hundred young people to one older person that actually read the Bible that, you know, that could relate to us, you know, without trying to control us, but still let us have space to work out what we needed to work out. But to be honest with you, um, one of the things that I saw in our time period in the Jesus movement was the fear of the Lord started to come on us really intensely because of our eschatology, (laughs) because you know, the late great planet Earth came out at that time. When the late great planet Earth came out, there was just really one eschatological perspective of, you know, pre-tribulation rapture and that it was going to happen at any point in time. And of course, you know, there's a couple of different perspectives of that now that I, I hold a little bit different perspective than that now. But um, but nonetheless, it, it kept us in check and it made us go hard after the Lord and put a and the fear of the Lord was on us for like getting our lives right. And, and, and the power of the Holy spirit, oh my gosh, the power of the Holy spirit broke off the power of sin over our lives. I mean, I didn't have a choice about like, we had our tongues for today or not. Bang. We were in boom. That was it. We got saved. Boom. We got baptized in the Holy spirit without even asking, having the question, you know? And so, um, so those two things were big components, but also, the fear of the Lord and the coming of the Lord was a big factor in that. And another one was, you know, having just community. And so we had to have accountability to one another. You know, it wasn't any kind of like, you know, we were serious about what we were doing. We had both feet in. I was both feet in. And you find like, I see like Jesus movement guys, you know, and women, you know, still got that fire in them, you know? I mean, I just turned 69 and I'm, dude, I'm still, I'm, I'm not burning out. I'm burning up, you know, and the Lord is about ready to, to move. And we get to be like seeing another one of these things. You know, I thought, man, I've been waiting in the water just like, okay, Lord, are you going to do this again or what? You know, I love what you're saying too, John, because you touched on it earlier. And let's kind of come around to this again, too. During the Jesus movement and shortly thereafter, there was explosions of counterfeits. And whenever the Lord is doing something authentic, if we don't help each other walk in that community of accountability in the sense of, I'm not talking about lording over one another, I'm talking about keeping ourselves in that place of scripture, having the the reverential fear of God, the respect of God. A lot of these cults began to emerge at the same time when you talk about the children of God, and we talk about other cults that came out that took a portion of that passion that was happening to young people. And directly to the, the their lusts. And I like what David Wilkerson once taught about that, Nicolaitans, that uh, possibly that, you know, Nicholas, one of the, the deacons or ones was appointed to, to serve tables, but yet he didn't go off. But yet some of the people that had maybe followed after him began to go after the appetite of the flesh. And so we saw a lot of that happen. How do we, and what God's doing now, obviously you can't just try to control what God, we want organic move of God. Mm-hmm. But what can we learn from history 
to help what God is doing now. Because most revivals in the past that I've seen and read about, even the, the 100 years before the Welsh revivals, the forerunner to the Welsh revivals, or even to uh, the Pentecostal movement was actually Edward Irving 100 years before the, the original Welsh revival, and then we before Azusa Street. And so what is it that we can do to help encourage the flame without controlling what God's doing, at the same time protecting uh, all these counter, protecting it from those counterfeits that show up when God's trying to move in it. It's strange fire, basically. It's strange fire. Yeah. And boy, that is a very good question, Doug. And I, I really, you know, that's a nice lead into this. I, this is an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob move. Okay. This movement is an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob movement. That Jesus movement, I would say, was a Jacob movement. <laughs> and now there's, the ratio is, you know, evenly distributed. You know, there's many, 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 many spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers now, you know, that have already been through it. You know, like I've got all kinds of kids that, I mean, we're all doing house churches here in San Diego and, and uh, we're, we've got a Jesus gathering coming on Easter. We'll have a thousand people probably show up at this thing. And it's loosely put together. Uh, there, there's a little core group of us that, you know, have prayed this thing in and we've done probably 18 of them all over the United States, by the way. And so we know what to look for. And, you know, you've got the older ones, like, uh, for instance, Ron Junkel, who's a very dear friend of mine. He was one of the leaders in the Jesus movement. And Ron is 74, going to be 75 soon. I'm 69. And then we've got the younger ones who are like 48. And in that age group, you know, like kind of the Isaacs. And then we've got all these Jacobs that are about ready to come. So you've got a good, solid group of people. And unlike our, my generation growing up, our parents were very much separated from us. You know, when we started doing drugs and we're listening to, you know, rock and roll music and we're listening to the, you know, Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff, you know, they're going, where are our kids, we've lost them. We're coming in with no shoes on, you know, our hair is long. We're, you know, they're going, what? We, we, we have completely lost our kids, but we have been through all of that and we've done all of those things. So there's nothing that these other generations haven't done that we don't understand. And so there's a good mesh of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in this deal that we can keep a safe kind of a not a control, but, you know, just a normal family kind of a thing. Like, hey, well, what did dad say about it? You know, it's kind of like one of those deals, you know, and you got thousands of instructors, but few fathers. Well, there's a boatload of fathers out here now. Mm -hmm. And so all the groups that I'm tied in with, all these guys look to me like a father figure, you know, and most of their fathers have been either sideways or non-existent. So, you know, you just fulfill that role and it's a joy. I mean, at this stage of my life, just pouring it all out. Just guys, take it all. It's all yours, you know. You and I were talking a few days ago that, you know, even for me, I just turned 66 not too long ago. And it's really been the millennials and the Gen Zs that have actually approached me and said, look, we need fathers. I remember doing a roundtable years ago with a bunch of these next geners and, and we had a roundtable think tank. And one of the two things that came out of that was interesting how they came up with this. The commonality was, how do we do pre-conversion discipleship? How do we impact the culture mm -hmm. with the principles of the kingdom without sounding like we're just, 
the Bible says, but being the Bible, yeah. being the shofar, yeah. Yeah. to draw people into that hunger. And secondly, they were saying, we don't need everyone to tell us what to do. We've got, we're full of zeal and vision, but will you guide us and help father us? Yeah. So that, well, that's interesting. And so this generation is looking for that. Yeah. It's that we have to be willing not to be those uh, early morning laborers that say, we've been there, done that. Uh, and then yeah. be jealous yeah. of the 11th hour laborers. Exactly. Joy exactly. and empowered because our dreams will be accomplished by the visionary generation, a prophetic generation. Amen. Amen. And you know, another thing is this, you know, I, there's this propensity, I think, in the church system, you know, like I've been out of the church structure because God's called me out of that and to start a new wineskin, you know, to help implement a new wineskin, you know, and I have no, I'm not mad or upset about any of that. No. And I'm saying, listen, if you're in a church that a healthy church that's alive and moving, God bless you and go for it. But I see something coming that is so critical that's going to shift everything. Just like, you know, where were the prophetic voices talking about the COVID deal? You know, I mean, everybody's armchair quarterbacking it afterwards, you know, but man, that what I see coming now, it far exceeds anything that we could ever imagine as far as financial breakdown, as far as things that are going to be very, very difficult. So uh, the church structure, as we know it, I believe is going to be either completely shattered or uh, and to make room for something almost brand new for many people, which is, has to be organic, has to be houses, has to be parks, has to be any place you can meet where you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> you know? And it's gotta be something like that because the harvest that's coming in is going to be so immense and so intense that we've got to have places for these people to go to that are healthy, you know? And so, uh, so I think what happens is spiritual leaders have this propensity to be kind of um, intimidated by the gifting that's falling on the next group. And so what we have to do is we have to be open to want them to jump on our shoulders to get to the next place that they can be and not be intimidated by, but be pushing them forward. And so that's kind of what I see now that there's a security, you know, there's this, what uh, Abraham Maslow, where that guy's name was, he had that pyramid where there's like uh, self-actualization. Well, we're at the upper echelon of that self-actualization as we get older and we're aware of ourselves. We understand what our limitations are what our gifts are, we're secure in who we are. And so we want these kids to go further than us. I'm seeing such a strong anointing on these young people and what God is doing with them. And some of these guys are coming out of such incredible brokenness. And yet there's such a strong anointing on them. And all they need is just a little coaching, a little encouragement, a little, hey, 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 don't go that way, go this way. You know, just gotta be nice and simple and easy, like a dad would to his kid then you idiot what are you thinking you know not, not like that but just like a good dad would do to his kids you know and so i see that happening now and i see the kids ex man they're accelerating i mean they're out on the streets they're out they're laying hands on the sick they're casting out demons they're they're i i say okay look guys this is how we're going to do this okay i'll cast out the first demon you do the second one. I okay this pray for this person get filled with the holy spirit see how i did that okay boom see how that happened Boom. And so they all know how to do everything. So they don't need me, you know, but they love for me to be there and I'd love to be with them. And 
kind of works like a family. We call that the ministry of presence. I find a lot of times younger men and women that are involved in either business or ministry say, Doug, you know, um, we it's not that you have to always be there at everything we do, but we just love it when you just show up. Just because yeah. of the ministry of the presence that we know that uh, Papa's there, that we know yeah. that yes. someone has gone before us and gone exactly. through the principles of experience. Right. You had mentioned yeah. about structures, and, and I've always, in fact, in one of my books, Leadership Awakening, I talk about the difference between institution and incarnation. Mm. What we need is the incarnation of the presence yes. of God. Yes. yes, we don't need we don't need uh, the kind of structure that's put, that puts God in a box, but we need to be a yes. infrastructure that allows people yes. to get in the box to proclaim the gospel. Yes. Years ago, I was at NRB and had a between sharing. I had one of those moments where I fell asleep for about a few moments and woke myself up. But I had this image <laughs> of, of God reaching down into the crowd of a little child. And the place was and that child was afraid, looking for mm. his mom and dad. And yet this, mm. his hands came into the crowd and picked up this child and put him on his shoulders, because you mentioned the shoulders. And mm. all of a sudden on the shoulders, there's a different perspective because you're on the vantage point of looking mm. at the chaos that's rather right. than looking up into the chaos. Yes, 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 absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. Now, there's a book right now that I've been reading called The Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. And it has just been really mind-boggling. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but uh, and you know, I'm I'm putting a plug in for that because only because it's having such an impact on me, and I'm so been so blessed by reading this. But it's speaking about the the apostolic move that's happening. It's they use the the term missional inner kind of interwound with that, and so you're seeing start to seeing the apostolic kind of a flavor to things, which simply means, means sent out ones. You know, we have this hierarchical mentality of things and, and it's really a much simpler kind of a, a deal than that. And outside uh, the, the, in the structures, well, in the organ, organisms that we have around us, uh, it's highly relational, uh, not, uh, it, it doesn't have that, that uh, hierarchy kind of a thing to it. So it's, but at the same time, you're older, so people, all the kids relate, and it's normal. It's just a natural kind of a, of a paradigm that we're, we're working with, and it's really an exciting time that mm -hmm. I'm seeing, and I'm feeling the momentum now coming in our, in this time period, like I haven't seen, and, you know, and like, I was in the Jesus movement, and I was not necessarily on the front end of that, but I was on the front end of another movement called the Vineyard Movement. And so, and I was with that with Lonnie. And so I met Lonnie kind of a little later in the Jesus Movement. Well, I, actually the Jesus Movement had completely waned by the time I met Lonnie. And a new movement was coming that we had no idea about, which was called the Vineyard Movement. And um, which is another whole story in and of itself, but that has had tremendous impact on the body of Christ also. Well, but, John, um, I want us yeah. to come back to this a moment because you two things you mentioned. One was, um, well, you talked about movements, and the other thing was that, um, uh, you know, you talked about implosions because back in in the last uh, end of 2022, mm -hmm. I kept getting three words over and over: exposure, implosions. I mean, implosion, exposure, implosions, explosions, mm. and um, and I really felt like in the implosion that the things we put our trust in. 
would begin to implode. But in that, God was going to pour out his spirit with an explosion of his presence in ways we did not expect. So you touched on that. But something I think is critical, because you've touched on this in previous conversations and in various interviews, um, because let's get back to Lonnie for a second, because obviously God used Lonnie, and as Lee Grady said in his article, um, the full story is, you know, people don't understand that he had a tormented life in some regard, but yet, how do we come back to this generation, you said, was in many ways coming out of its brokenness. Mm-hmm. And kind of a no direction generation that people put labels on them, and yet God's put His cloak upon them. How do we help them to keep their hearts in a place where they these roots of uh, unforgiveness or bitterness or roots of of pain do not become magnified in the midst of the magnic, magnification of the anointing of God? Because the anointing breaks the yokes of bondage, but there's some areas of our own human frailty that we need to be cognizant of. I know in my own life, I've had to deal with things from my past and I have to keep that place, uh, you know, before the Lord. So that way I don't allow those things to allow me to have a, um, an orphan spirit, so to speak, and, or to allow bitterness to enter in to keep me from the anointing of God. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I, you know, there's with Lonnie, it was difficult because, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, there's a whole generation um, that, uh, especially the 50s and the 60s, you know, and people were getting victimized in that time period too, you know. I mean, you're seeing a lot of it happening now, but uh, and when I say victimization, I'm talking about, you know, molestations. And, you know, what we know now is in, the, in these kinds of situations, a lot of times there's you know, little demonic entry points and, you know, the trauma that comes as a result of that is, man, people can't even begin to imagine how intense that is. And you have to carry these things. And, you know, now we understand that there's deliverance and healing and all kinds of things like that. Now, then we really have a good grasp of that. You know, it's really, uh, God has really brought that to the forefront that we're seeing because we're seeing so many deliverances and you, you have to get to the root of that of what those issues are in that person's life. And sometimes it's generational sometimes, but it's like looking at a tree, but there's a root system and the root system is as, as big as the tree itself. You know, it's like an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg and then underneath of it, you know, and that's how people's lives are at many, in many times. And they carry that pain and at the top of the iceberg, they look all normal at the top of the tree. They look normal, but their roots are going down into, they've been seriously damaged and they're huge, you know? And so, I think that God is like bringing deliverance in those things. And Lonnie, unfortunately, didn't have that. uh, People weren't at that place at that time to get to bring him through some deliverance. So it was a different generation of men that were in that time. Uh, Chuck, you know, these are all World War II kind of guys that were born in that era. You know, like they necessarily weren't in World War II, but they were born they under, they lived in that time period where their parents were either in it or they themselves were in it. But so um, it, they didn't understand those kinds of things and didn't know how to deal with those kinds of things. And, you know, the religious structures at that time couldn't handle those kinds of things. It's only been, I would say, as the Holy Spirit began to be poured out and you would have like camp farthest out kinds of things. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that was the early charismatic movement and which 
ultimately ushered in and helped usher in the Jesus movement. One was the charismatic movement was to the structured churches. The, the Jesus movement was to the counterculture. I was in the counterculture, uh, and but the charismatic movement had tremendous impact on also on the body of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so people were exploring some of these things. You know, my spiritual father was Harold Bredesen. So Harold was really familiar with those kinds of things. And he was uh, with, you know, some of those leaders in that time period. My Harold actually was one of the people that came up with the term charismatic movement because uh, people were, you know, instead of saying, you want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost and, you know, sounds like you're from the hollers of West Virginia and speaking tongues, you know, they just changed it to the Greek side of that thing. Would you like to have become charismatic and have the gifts of glossolalia? Well, that sounds very intriguing, you know, so the Episcopalians bought into it hook, line and sinker and boom, before you knew it, you had a move of God coming with the fire of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, so those people explored that a little bit more than the Jesus movement people explored it. We were not quite up to speed on those kinds of things, but getting back to Lonnie and his issues, um, you know, the molestation, I think had a lot of impact on him, never got dealt with, you know, by the time he's, you know, 19 years old, he's already married, you know, with his wife, Connie. And, you know, by the time he's 20, he's the face of the Jesus movement on Time Magazine. So, you know, and he's met, he's now leading 500 young people, you know, as shepherding them in, in what would become Calvary Chapel. So, and he's moving in signs and wonders and power and all kinds of things. So you can imagine all the things that were coming after him and getting back to the cults, those cult leaders, some of those cult leaders came directly to Lonnie to try to woo him away from Chuck because they wanted to bring them into his, their folds to start to, you know, blow those things up. And, and these, these uh, different cults and different things that come along the way, and we'll, we'll see the same thing happen on this one, you know, we just got to be careful how all of those things work. We've been through a lot of these kinds of things. It's, we don't want to see controlling people come in and start controlling this, but we want to see the Lord begin to move with great power, great anointing. And we want to see the Lord begin to not, uh, you know, holiness is going to be a big thing in this. We're seeing really the crest of this wave that I see coming has repentance on it. That's why we're seeing so many deliverances in this season, you know, because it's easy to deliver people when people want to repent of their sins and get away from what has got a stranglehold on them. I mean, I'm seeing more deliverances now than I, every week I'm casting demons out of people, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. And I'm not looking for work. It's just happening, you know, but thank God I've got all the kids. They all know how to do everything. So, you know, it's not hinged on me anymore. So it's all never, never was hinged on me, by the way, but it's just, it's decentralized. How's that? And I think this is a decentralized move of God that's coming. In other words, you're going to see many, many different leaders and teams, uh, apostolic teams almost, of people coming together. And we're going to see a real unity that will be coming. So I don't know if that answered your question. It's been a long time, and I'm feeling very encouraged of seeing that what God is doing with no man or woman's fingerprint, but he's putting his hand on it. And as you know, it had been spoken over the decades that one of the greatest outpourings would still yet to come would be the father heart of God. Mm-hmm. And in that father heart of God, there's something about when, a, when Papa comes into the room, you feel yeah. the conviction. You're glad he's there, but you feel the conviction of yeah. anything you might've done that's in secret. 
So that brings that place of repentance. It brings us times of refreshing. The goodness of God brings us to repentance. But I do agree. I think it's going to be a holiness outpouring, but it's not going to be an external kind of piety, religious piety. But it'll be the inward consecration of the heart says, God, I just want more of you. I need yes. you more, more than ever before. And I sense that's what's percolating right now. And I'm very encouraged in that. And as Leonard Ravenhill, you, you know, used to pray with me when I was a young man in my 20s and 30s. And then to, to believing that he would see with his eyes another generation rise up. I think some of us are those older Samuels now saying, yeah. God, let's call out the, the, the giftings of this next generation. Yes. Help yes. us cross over into that place of, of what we've been longing for. And so time got away from us. And I'm just so thankful you spent this time with us. You know, the question still arises with Lonnie that God used him. God used him with the Holy Spirit power. Uh, God can use many people in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And yet we still need to allow the Lord to do an inward work in us. Yeah, that's right. So that there's not a, a hindrance from what, what God wants to continue through us. So with the, everybody asking about Lonnie, Obviously, he died of AIDS. There's a couple of yeah. books you know that you could recommend that tell the other side of the story of his latter. He never gave up his love for God, but he he yeah. was really honest about his own flaws. And yes, did come in, but he had to deal with that. And he ended up getting right with everyone before he passed. But just take the last couple of minutes and just share a little bit about that final, because I know you spoke at his funeral as well as Chuck Smith. And so would you just share a little bit about the that there is hope beyond some of the things that we hear about, even in our humanity. Yes. You know, I think that, um, you know, look, Lonnie, Lonnie struggled and it was a painful thing to have to watch with him. And if you want to just go look at my podcast that I initially did, I kind of explained that whole story there. So one of the things that um, the, the last book and these books that are out are literally Lonnie speaking or I, I'm in a couple of the books, so it's just me speaking. And so they, they're just uh, writing down what I, what I was sharing, uh, my thoughts and my story with Lonnie. The last book was called Set Free. And that was the time when Lonnie was like back in my life because we had a little split there. And in that, that book, I, I, my name was in the book. So I thought, oh, I need to read this book because I hadn't read it. I'd had it sitting on a shelf and I thought, I need to read I should probably read this. My name's in there. So I started reading the book Set Free. And it's uh, with uh, the series that uh, Roger Sachs did. As I'm reading that, I came upon Lonnie's last, uh, it's uh, Eternal Perspectives is the name of the chapter. And it's Lonnie sharing from a deathbed perspective of everything about the, you know, his involvement with homosexuality, with all kinds of things, you know, it's like just like laying it out there. You know, one of the things I love about the hippie culture was we're super authentic and super real about stuff, you know. So Lonnie just lays everything out there. And as I'm reading this, I wanted to interview Lonnie because he was with my wife and I, you know, like at the end before he died. And I asked him, Lonnie, can I interview you? Because I think somehow, this is like 30 years ago, homosexuality is going to be a big deal in the church. And if anybody could address it, you could address it with some clarity and perspective. And he, by that time, he was too sick. He was too far gone. He just said, you know, I've got everything right with, with all the people, all the leaders, all the people that I had such roots of bitterness. I got everything squared away. And I just am looking forward to being with Jesus. So I'm, I'm out of here, man. So I said, okay, well, I totally understand that, Lonnie. So, but I always regretted that I never brought that 
story forward. And then here it is, I'm reading it. I'm reading it to my wife. I said, listen to this, Clark. This is exactly the interview I wanted to have with Lonnie. And he just laid it all out there. So I experimented this with my one of my house groups. And I had one of the girls read to the house group. And there's like 55 people in our house group, you know. I mean, the place burst into tears. People are repenting all over the place. I was shocked at what I saw happening as a result of somebody reading that chapter to the house group people. And man, so after I saw Greg's deal, I kind of gave the chrono chronological perspective of Lonnie's life. And then I just simply read that chapter out loud. I said, these are not my words. These are not what I think about. Lonnie would say about it. This is what he said. That way I took the narrative away from the LGBTQ community, put it back into the body of Christ community and said, okay, he didn't approve of that. He didn't, he never considered himself one of them of, of that community fell into sin, you know, because of his issues growing up and, you know, kind of just laid it all out there. And so, you know, I think that we're in a season of great deliverance and great, uh, the presence of God and the power of God coming and overshadowing us again, like we've never seen before. Best time to be alive is right now. Mm. We are going to see the manifest glory of God come. Amen. Let it be, Lord. And and um, one of the things I appreciate about even in his writings, you said set free. And there's some other books he's written as well. What are some of the other books that Lonnie did? Uh, well, there's a series of three. If you just go look up, you know, Lonnie Frisbee or Roger Sachs, you'll oh, see all three of them. Roger wrote them all, so or did them all for. Thank you again so much, John, for being with us. And there's so many more questions I have, but uh, for the sake of your time, and we agreed to this one hour. Thank you for taking the time with us. I think it's uh, important for us. I think even where we're going, we, we can't create a an altar to the past, but we can look at the landmarks of God's faithfulness along the way and bring Amen. it to the context of where we are to kind of get direction to where we're going. Let me encourage everyone to see the video that uh, John did on Unscripted, Lonnie Frisbee Unscripted. Also, if you get a chance, read the article by Lee Grady. Uh, and it is uh, called Fire in My Bones is a series, but it's Jesus Revolution. Didn't tell you the full story of the hippie preacher's tormented life. He explains that his life was deeply flawed, but yet God used him powerfully. You know, it's amazing how all of us that God has allowed to use us. It's not because we've been perfect or perfected, but because we were willing and yielded to God. And, and so I pray even for this next generation to rise up and that fathers and Mothers and the Lord would be there to help nurture, give guidance and direction to, because we're about to see some incredible things take place if we would not put our fingerprints on it to try to control what God is up to. And it is going to be a multi-generational move of God, a prophetic generation preparing the way for revival and the coming of the Lord, I believe. So uh, take time to also get the books on uh, Lonnie Frisbee and make sure you see the Jesus Revolution, although it's based on a true story, not all completely factual. It's still moving with the essence of what God did and God wants to do, I believe, in greater measure today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.